Good evening, everyone, and welcome to EdgeNode, the only show that's brave enough to turn your business card into an AirPlay lock screen for your iPhone. I'm Mark. I'm Leno. And today, we are talking about a whole smattering of things. Apple's WWDC was recently, and they announced a whole slate of products. Um, it's a great year for EVs, apparently, as well, and more. So, um, WWDC was pretty big. It happened on the 6th. It just recently concluded yeah, uh, the, the, the developer portion of it. So, yeah. um, what was the, the biggest thing... I, I mean, we we've all seen the news we all know what the biggest thing is but like explain the biggest thing that was announced there well the biggest thing that was announced there for uh many of you uh who likes a nice luxury view in your um homestay uh would be the vr um headset um announced um, by um, by apple um their development team is very proud of it uh, so proud in fact that they are um stamping this baby with a market price of 35 Hundred de Niro. Uh, that's right. If you're um, I'm look, living in the U.S., you're looking at 3.5k. If you want this bad boy, uh, if um, if you want to know why that is, um, well, I am happy to explain it to you uh, further as we get into it. Yeah, I mean, you got to think about it. 3,500 bones. We're talking like the price of a really kitted out like 14 or 16 inch MacBook Pro. Yeah, <laughs> it's like like at that at that point, you're looking like a, at a beefy PC tower. At, at, <laughs> Something that, that would run like a, a VR of that that magnitude. Yeah, it's interesting. Like even within the slate of Apple's products, that's still a pretty hefty price when you come to think of it. Because like they're known for you know. Well, it's more expensive than their laptops. Um, most of them, anyways. Definitely, know, so, yeah. Um, and like the like like the, fe the features that are that are on there are, you know, they're are, are very nice. And I and I will say they're innovative for uh what um for like what what they're tapping into. However, uh, it could be argued that the features that they've added are not are not only, uh, you know, minimal, but almost pointless. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go over these features. What is, like, kind of the headlining purpose of this device? Well, the headlining purpose is essentially, uh, from my, what I got um, gather, to per I'm gonna pretty much have a, um, vis um, a visual... Uh, representation of your um of your eyes uh digitized for goggle use i'm assuming it's not um it's not for like any particular reason other than to um scare the bejesus out of um, all of your children and dogs as they walk past you like it re like it reanimates it like irises and like like colors and all like pe like people's dilation all that jazz and it and it gives like a 3d cgi version of it for everyone else to see um at your own choice of course it, it i love this so much to make these things useful for video conferencing, we basically have to engage in some of the most bizarre technological 5D chess. And you gotta wonder, right? Because this is very clearly meant to be a play for like either enterprise users or just users that video conference a lot. <laughs> and what's really funny about that is just the fact that to make that even applicable in that space. You, you need to go through all of this extra stuff, all this extra computation to make sure your eyes are being followed on screen. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of like extra effort. I dare, I dare say a little too much extra effort. <laughs> I, it, it, I mean, like, I don't know about you, but I kind of almost feel like the use for like my friends and family to have a, a CGI recreation, like James Cameron style, uh, of my oculars 
um, I, I I do find that like ra like rather pointless. Whereas alternatively, they could you know put that um put um put the, a lot of those uh, innovations and you know creative thoughts into um a lot like a lot more important things that the um that this VR could use like you know, uh, games. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's and that's kind of the thing. Uh, Meta recently announced the Quest Three, which is sort of a more staunch approach with like the in terms of the uh, what would you say the entertainment market for VR, which to this point at this point really has been the only thing that we've found a legitimate use for for in VR. Well, that's been the only use for um, for it in VR so far. It's been um in the entertainment market ever since VRs have been marketed uh, to like pub um, to the public. It's been through uh, games like uh, the Oculus Rift. You know, you used to play Slenderman or Amnesia VR on it back in the 2016s. Hmm. And there wasn't really much in the way of uh trying um trying to market it as a a practical uh real um real world item. That can be that can be used in your day to day life. Um, now there are ventures into that, uh, mind you. You know, with AR technology, uh, Microsoft does um, does technically speaking have their own VR headset where they make like an AR hybrid, which I thought was cool. Um, but I, I haven't um, seen them doing anything with that for a while. You know, Google, Google Glasses was um, was a bit of a hit. A MetaQuest has features in and of itself. You know, uh, here and there. In the, like in, in a market like this, uh, the Apple Vision Pro seem, um, seems to try and stand um, stand alone, not just um, in in price, but all, um, but also in product, um, as it seems to um, present itself as more of a luxury item uh, than an entertainment item. Yeah, I mean, I love the casual, sarcastic joke thrown in there about Google Glass. <laughs> I feel like it's it's sort of a rite of passage for you know really any tech journalist to just at some point make fun of the Google Glass relentlessly. Even it's been well over ten years. At oh this no, point. I'll never forget when they tried to promote it on Two Broke Girls. <laughs> No, I, I, I do remember. I do remember that that one lady from Legally Blonde just running into the diner, being like, "I'm sorry, I was late because of my Google glasses. They were blocking my view." I was like, "Okay, um, I think um, I'm just never gonna buy these." <laughs> like, congratulations, you have immediately turned me off. <laughs> yeah, well, you talked a little bit there about augmented reality, and and that's the big thing that Apple is really aiming for here. I mean, at thirty five hundred dollars. What is this product if not just a consumer available dev kit? Well, it's just well, right? yeah, it's, well, yeah, it's just it's just real, just really a, a vanity piece for anybody that that wants to buy it. I mean, what comes with a with a number of things? Um, it has twin 4K displays inside the headset. That eyesight thing I mentioned, so you know, I mean, you can kind of see like a version of stuff in front of you. It's I don't really see the point of it again. Like especially with like the HTC Vive, like uh, Cosmos out, yeah. which I think does the same thing. But I digress. Um, it doesn't come with controllers, uh, so mm -hmm. you um so you can kind of, um so you, um the headset tracks like your your hands and stuff like that to kind on the kind of uh let you touch things like um, like i said it's a mixed reality headset so it's more or less uh, vr and ar uh, reality mm -hmm. um had um has a photo gallery for um like for your apps like um normal app apple stuff um mm -hmm. it, it still is going to as far as i know um be on a, um, on a close like on a closed uh um server closed market um when it comes to like uh the app the apple products so to my knowledge uh, no microsoft porting or um or anything like that mm -hmm. um um, so with that being said, you'll be able to uh, access things like iCloud, uh, check um, check out things like um, like your photos, which you know how Apple loves their photos. So they um, so they definitely um, deep dive into that a bit too. So you, um, they um, they ha they made their first ever uh, 3D camera, um, which essentially um, allows you to take pictures uh, of 
um, of like uh, rooms uh, such, um, such as this bo- um, boxed cave um, bomb shelter um, that the, our studio is um, currently in um, for anybody listening. And uh, it recreates it in, uh, in a real world image. So it kind of looks like you're standing right in it. Now, granted, it didn't exactly uh, um, showcase that the best because it had like some dad um, recreating like his um, like his time out with his, with his kids while while his kids were like casually playing games in the corner. <laughs> he was like missing out on their lives while he was while I'm revisiting their lives. So I mean, as um, so I mean, if you're willing to find any other use for it outside of that, then I think it's pretty cool. Um, I um, I preferably would um, would use it for uh, like exposing people to live leak. But I don't think that um, that probably go down too well uh, in my tales on the streets, uh, so to speak. I would most likely be uh, labeled a snitch. <laughs> it's okay, little Timmy. Daddy still loves you. He's just taking eight K photos of the room that you're in right now. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna. Yeah, I'm just gonna like lock people up in a psych ward to pull pull whole jewels on these on these people, Euphoria style. Well, that's the thing with like 360 photos and videos in particular, we've all seen what happens when they're improperly mixed or improperly recorded, improperly taken as photos. And this is especially the case with uh, something like Google Street View, where the whole purpose is to take as many of these 360 photos as possible as you're driving along. The quality is a little bit debatable, mm. right? And you're, you start to see like places where they didn't necessarily fill in the gaps all the way or the blurriness is just a little bit too much to kind of break through with just your mind. And right. there's just parts of it that don't necessarily feel very three-dimensional because, of course, it's just a single camera on either end of this little 360 camera thing. Right, and they're trying to kind of, um, to kind of uh, bridge that gap with the uh, 3D display. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now they do actually have a uh, panoramic gal- inside your photo gallery for those kind of photos, um, so you are actually able to kind of have like, um, like a two, 270 degree angle for, for your cameras, if that's mm-hmm. what you so choose. Um, but, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really make that 3.5, you know, uh, K, K price point have any, have any meaning. Right. Uh, so, um, so I mean, it's not the only, it's not the only thing that the, that the, um, that it has. Of course, it does have, have games and apps, but uh, it doesn't ha- doesn't have anything like of note. You know, it doesn't have it doesn't have like any PS five level you know games or not running any um anything like thirty eighty <laughs> like like graphic scale if I if I'm not mistaken. But you know, they are trying to get them get their foot into the door. Now, personally, I don't think that they that they chose the right uh way to do that. You know, I not not the price the price that um, that they chose anyways, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, I um I feel like if they if they if they're really, if they're just trying to do this as a bit of a test run, then I guess, or if they're just expecting um like only like only like the top like the top tier of people to buy this thing, uh, then um then fine. But the way that they marketed it doesn't really come off that way to me it doesn't seem like doesn't seem like a, um, like an item that on, that only like the like the wealthy or only like um the, the well-to-do um are supposed are supposed to be like looking into it's not right. it's not a sheer luxury item it's a it's a it's almost a luxury utility item you know they say um they say that you can use this thing not just in your home you're on the go you can use it on planes yeah. you know like um like bose headphones or something like that it they're trying to market it as an everyday item that is also a luxury item much like their um apple headphones which again don't really offer much in the way of you know differentiation from other headphones mm-hmm. but do have like a couple um couple little diff- um, different app like apple specific things to it that makes it you know unique so it's um so again it's more it's more something that 
that that appeals to you know the the average Apple fan or the average or, or like the you know like the top tier Apple consumer, you know. Uh, but it's not really appealing to a mass market for that reason. Not at that price point. I yeah. I personally don't feel feel that way. You know, I personally don't feel like I can I can buy into it at that price point. Right. I mean, this is and this kind of boils down to the central thesis of what Apple's trying to accomplish here. And this kind of gives me definitely OG Apple Watch vibes where mm. this is essentially a thirty five hundred dollar dev kit. If you really <laughs> think about it okay. and from that perspective, it's actually quite genius because releasing it as a consumer product means it garners attention and maybe even a little bit of revenue from the tryhards who really want to buy something like this. But most of the cost is in just the hardware. Right. If Apple wanted to drive up the price for a reasonably competent headset, they realistically could. But no, they wanted to make the margins on the hardware specifically here. And so you have these in, these incredible displays. You have this incredible pass-through, great cameras, all this stuff. And that boils down to the $3,500. So then when developers get in, they say, hey, here's a mass-market consumer product with the rollout and with the supply chain that allows us to easily obtain these things for our design studio or whatever, mm -hmm. and we're going to start developing apps for it. And Apple's long game here, I think, is moving more into the augmented reality territory, mm. what they call spatial computing, which is what they're doing with the headset. All of your apps and windows are floating in space, much like the space top that we talked about in the last episode. Mm -hmm. And also much like the space top, that has that feature where you can open up your Mac, Mac and you have the, virtual the, desktops. Or, yeah, that. The, um, they are definitely leaning into that, and I, and I do, like, right. applaud them for it. However, <laughs> uh, I, um, what, I do, what I do note is that they do have, like, competition that's doing it at much lower prices. Maybe not, like, as good, or, like, maybe not at the same quality. However, they are um, stepping into that into that market, you right. know, at, um, at lower prices. You know, like, mm -hmm. even even their main competitor, Meta, has the Meta um, Quest Pro out at a 100 or one or a 1.1K uh, price point, something like that. Yeah. And that's being marketed to, um, to as a more, like, uh, entrepreneurial thing. You know, it's more it's more for um, business purposes. Uh, you can, like, it does play games, too, mm -hmm. but, it's, but it does... Um, feature that AR tech or technology or that inter or like that little uh like stepping like like stepping point into it um as well other uh v like like other companies have been dabbling with AR technology too in the past you know like HTC as well or just trying to integrate it into that sort of same kind of hybrid thing just mm -hmm. that lower prices and they might and again might maybe not the same quality but they're but they're more trusted uh companies you know they're yeah. they're gaming companies or at least they're companies that um that have uh, more experience in um like in the v in the VR um like tech space, Apple not so much you know like like they're like they're they're a tech company they're great you know they're um everyone loves them because they're Apple but everyone loves them because they're Apple it's the same way that everyone will buy um an, a Google product because it's Google you know mm -hmm. so um you're you're still gonna get those people that are gonna buy it yeah. I just don't think it has m much longevity at this point because of where it stands yeah you know not everyone's just gonna buy into that especially if it, um if it's not doing anything different or making or, or like doing anything innovative that's making it worth it it's just not there as a company to um to be that bold in my opinion you right. know like even like even if like like don't get because like i do kind of i do feel that they feel that that price point is necessary for how much it costs to to make it like as a hardware it's a whole new platform and again that's the thing it's like as a developer for developing for apple ar kit or um vr kit or whatever other kit that they bring to uh their whole lineup of kits and all of their apis and all that stuff apple has um really stunning platforms for developers swift is a standard for code i mean xcode is really great but 
the primary crux of the matter is the fact that Apple's messaging just seems odd here. And for a company that prides itself in having amazing messaging normally, right? right they know what their market segments are usually. Mm -hmm. Either it's the creative professional market or the consumer market. It's or like the they market the iPad and their, yeah, entertainment. And that's kind of the problem because they market this as an entertainment device, but this doesn't really seem like even that great of an entertainment device. I'm sorry. Watching VR content is just a lonely experience. Watching yeah. even regular content in VR is a lonely experience. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not and, staring at a, the same movie that somebody and, else is staring at. And and again, it's already been done before, just in like like li like literal like more more like frugal ways. You know, <laughs> like like the Google Card Box exists. Just smack your phone into it and and, wa and watch a YouTube 360 video. It's not that difficult. But at the, but I digress. Um, if um if they still wanted to you know promote it as such then they I mean, they really should have just went hog wild with it i don't know if this is something that at that price point should have been boistered boistered out as like this big like new step in the, the vr tech you know right. like or as this next generational item because it's just not it's just yeah. um it's just like the same old thing with like a couple new bells and whistles and maybe done better maybe done mm -hmm. maybe adapted a lot better but it's not different and what this, what the VR like, in the, what the VR tech space needs right now is different for that kind of price. So, so I mean, for for me personally, I wouldn't buy this thing until um, unless it was like around like nine ninety nine, max. You know, like I would really like like for for an item like this, like like for how Apple is. I was saying it on my show last night, but uh, I. I I really don't. Um, I really kind of feel like they um, they might as well just drop it to like eight hundred or like nine hundred bucks. See how it does for like um, um for a couple of cycles, and then um and then if it if it's actually good, then they can bump um bump up the price point. Right. Then um then they can put it to like uh the on um, the MetaQuest Pro, um Pro's uh, price point. Roll out their um their next uh, item and then double on that for um for uh like say I don't know one point five or or. Um, or above, but um, like just incrementally stack the price, garner like the fan or the fanboy culture that they already have. Yeah. You know they're going to be able to um, to scam these people into buying it at <laughs> um, at, at a larger and larger price points. But for something like this, you can't just um, throw it at them with the um, with the water on boil. You have right. to let it simmer. So I. I <laughs> yeah, and, and this is and this is kind of the, the oh, I'm sorry, but no, no, I was I was done. It's fine. <laughs> but this is kind of the thing, right? You you run into that issue with. Um, Apple normally starts small, then works up their way up to the pro market. iPads started at a, as, as a consumer device, basic consumer device, then prices on the lower end lowered even more, and the pros got higher end uh, right. products. iPhone was the same way, Apple Watch was the same way, and then Apple Silicon that rollout was the same way as well. It's odd that they're doing it the opposite way now. Yeah, it's like for some for something that's so new, you know, it's just yeah. it's just not. I mean, it's it's just something that isn't even stable yet. Or no one really even like like knows what um what to do with right. you know VR is just VR right now and it's cool for for games in in entertainment like functions and watching movies and stuff like that but you know it, um it's still te like there's still like a market that everyone has a lot of interest in and like like has a lot of uh, like imaginative ideas you know everyone everyone's still doing something with it everyone still kind of has that sort of online ready player one kind of <laughs> like kind of goal you know mark zuckerberg um in his whole his whole meta uh, meta conference that on um, that happened was pretty much designed around that and sure it sucked but he um he was pretty much still pumping his um his metaverse out and built in designing um the met the meta quest 3's um release to roll out um back um around that 
you know, or the games are the games were are supposed to be, you know, played in the metaverse, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Back catalog of Meta 2 Quest games are supposed to be um like compatible with the metaverse. You know, everything ties back to his metaverse. But what a lot of these companies aren't getting is that people don't want that BS stuff because no one really wants to be in a, um, in a corporate metaverse. No one wants to be in Mark's metaverse. No one wants to be in Apple's metaverse. Like wearing mat like Apple gear swag, having to pay like $25.99 per month to move into different tiers of different worlds in their VR spaces. You know, it's like, um, like it's just, it's just nonsensical that they keep on trying to build, um, build these products around um, a market that doesn't even exist. They're just trying to make it so. And it's very frustrating. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm starting, I'm starting to get off in a bit. We need to go outside and touch grass. <laughs> that's touch that's grass. the moral of the I story. I need to go drink water. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back. Next up, Tesla unleashes the Nax. And we're back. So recently, and this is kind of like in February of this year, Tesla announced that it was opening up its previously proprietary NACS charging standard, which is the main thing that it uses in its own superchargers, so that all of these other electric vehicles could theoretically, theoretically, mind you, buy into the system and use it. It would be an open standard now, and everyone can go over to a Tesla supercharger no matter what, who makes your car, it could be Ford, it could be GM, whatever. And now, that dream has actually come to reality. Recently, Tesla announced that it was making deals with both Ford and GM, to adopt the Tesla NACS charging port on the previously CCS charging port on their cars. So the main thing about that and what CCS is, which is the combined charging standard, it's just kind of, it's good, right? It's level two charging standard. It does a lot of really cool stuff, including adaptive charging and whatnot, but, and it's a lot better than CCS1. The th problem is it's still a bulky connector, mm -hmm. still takes a lot of space on electric vehicles, and it doesn't give you access to the many Tesla superchargers that are out there, mm. given the fact that it's an open standard. Right. It's kind of like what micro USB was when Apple had announced the lightning port, right? Micro USB was serviceable, and pretty much every Android handset on the planet used it, but Apple's lightning port was better. Right. Until USB-C came out, which was also an open standard that was objectively better than the Lightning port, and uh, we're still going on more than 10 years, and they haven't changed it, but this is not the Lightning port, right? The, the, the Tesla NACS is still a really good car charging port. Mm. So that's just really boring and obtuse, and most people really don't care about what charging port is on their cars, but they do start caring when they drive up to a Tesla supercharger and they can't use it. Right. But that's about to change really soon. Ford, GM, and Tesla combined make up about 72% of the total EV market in the United States, which constitutes almost three quarters of every single EV that gets sold in this country. There are 14,000 Tesla charging stations, well, Tesla superchargers in the United States. There are over 16,000 Tesla chargers if you include the Tesla destination chargers. There's exactly one Tesla supercharger in Alaska, as far as I'm aware, and one destination charger. The former is in Chugiat, which is 19 miles away. The latter is in Soldotno, which is like 60 miles away. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it's not really a big thing here, but elsewhere in the country, especially in states like California and Texas, it's a really, really, really big thing. Mm -hmm. And for anybody buying a new EV in the United States, it's huge. So um, CCS is still kind of on thin ice right now then. So um, previously, cars had to use adapters to take advantage of NACS, and these were usually aftermarket adapters, and the quality would vary on all of these. And there are some good ones that you can use to uh, use your regular car with a Tesla charging station, but then there's all the problems that adapters come with, right? Like some of the uh, adaptive features just don't work, and it's, it's, it's a whole mess. Right. But then Tesla has kind of a problem here still. Even, even if all of these other cars adopt NACS, the big issue is federal funding. So federal funding for EV charging stations currently sits at around like $7.5 billion theoretically for Tesla, but the problem is they have to have CCS on these chargers. Huh. They have to have that older standard. And sure, Ford and GM have adopted it, but what about the other manufacturers? Right. What about Nissan? What about Toyota? Honda, what about, okay. yeah, what about Rivian even? Some of the newer entrants like those guys or Polestar or, or whatever. Yeah. And that's kind of the big issue that they have to face now. So what Tesla is probably going to have to do is they're going to have to adopt CCS so that they're able to even get this funding. The White House recently said that they would expect CCS as a bare minimum for Tesla to be able to adopt if they want that federal funding still. Mm -hmm. And we all know that Tesla and all of these subsidies that are going in for electric vehicles, they haven't necessarily like, got along very well right, recently, be, especially because it was only recently that they applied for the, uh, that they even applied for the $7,500 EV credit on select vehicles. That leaves kind of this big gap between adoption and final rollout. But yeah, this I think is rather interesting because it, I guess the opening of the NACS or the North American charging standard as a whole is something that's rather uncharacteristic for Tesla at this time, especially at a time when they're becoming increasingly under pressure from new competition. And that's why um, it's been great, honestly, to see, because it's a very benevolent move, all things considered, since it's an open standard and the specs can be adopted by any EV manufacturer. There are other EV manufacturers like Aptera, which have announced adoption of it. It's just gaining traction more and more. And as of now, there appears to be about 60% more NACS chargers than there are CCS chargers. Mm. So again, this is a great thing, and I don't really see how this is bad at all, unless it becomes incredibly confusing and Tesla doesn't adopt CCS on all of its chargers, and so older EVs go up, and yeah, it's... It's, and a, it's, it's, comes whole mess, yeah. it's a very messy thing, but to be fair, EVs only account for like 0.7% of the U.S. consumer vehicle market. They're about one point nine million electric vehicles on the road at the moment hmm. compared to the rest which are all gas powered vehicles or hybrids and that presents sort of a challenge for those older ev users but they make up such a small portion of the market to where i think just like saying telling them just buy an adapter is a reasonable thing to do and the problem with ev adoption in europe is the fact that well, they already decided on a standard. Their regulatory bodies already voted on that there. Mm -hmm. So the adoption of NACS there is also is just kind of a no-go. Yeah, like relevant almost. Yeah, pretty much. And that's what makes Tesla doing a push over there pretty hard. So 
the North American charging standard is going to remain true to its name for now and be a particularly North American standard, which is unfortunate. It's, you know, another weird tech thing that the U.S. is kind of isolating itself on. Well, they're trying, well, probably just trying to boister ourselves like the the leaders of it. Right. And, uh, you know, at this point, we... I think it's I think it's good, you know. The NACS is a good standard, and the fact that the EU was so obtuse about it when it came to uh, you know requiring that standard be adopted is sort of unfortunate. And it's also unfortunate that we were pretty obtuse with it as well. It was the same case with us of federal spending again. Those subsidies for EV charging stations are only going to CCS powered chargers. Right. And um, I've seen this likened to kind of Tesla winning the format war back in the days of VHS and Betamax, which then returned to Blu-ray and HD DVD. Hmm. And Tesla was kind of fighting that same battle with CCS, which was an open standard that their proprietary standard was fighting against. But then that standard stopped being proprietary. So this is actually better than those previous format wars because there's no licensing cost associated with it. Again, the spec is open, right? Right. So as a vehicle manufacturer, you can just adopt it. And there is actually a change.org petition recently that um, was meant to go to like U.S. lawmakers to require the adoption of NACS on all electric vehicles by a certain time frame. Um, of course, it's change.org. It literally means nothing. But it is a very real desire for a lot of people to see right now. And the U.S. EV market could very, very, very soon go to an NACS-only future. Mm. And the future of EVs, the ones that are actually available to consumers, the ones that are actually sold at a reasonable price, the ones that actually have good charging networks and decent range for a decent price as well those are all going to be powered by the formerly Tesla standard. And it's a good charger, too. It's a lot slimmer than CCS. It's uh, generally a lot faster, right? Charges cars faster. It also has a lot of other benefits in terms of its adaptive charging and software and all that. It's great. You know, it's a great standard. And again, it's it's in, insane that Tesla, at the point that they're in, when they're facing increasing competition from other EV manufacturers is willing to do stuff like this. And hey, it's it's awesome. You know, future of EV charging right here. Yeah, so well, yeah, it seems like it seems like the um, like the next step, I guess. You know, if anything, if anything, at least it's gonna uh, make for for more competition. You know, we'll see. Um, we'll see. Like if um if the the cars that are produced on on, on both ends that um that support uh the different kinds of um of lines, you know, will sort of uh. I don't know, have different kind of like like uh, features and bells and whistles to kind of make um kind of uh, lean lean uh more, like more consumers towards like those um those product lines over the other, right? Know? Yeah, definitely, and it's it's a lot more competition that's being offered here. Not only that, but it's also probably going to make electric vehicles cheaper in the long run, mm -hmm. because you have this flood of older models now. Yeah. that manufacturers are going to try to move away from because they want you to buy the stuff with the newer charging ports. So and consumers are going to benefit from this, even if only very slightly. minimally, because these there aren't a whole lot of EVs on the road right now anyway. Right. And then, and then for anybody that's still trying to go for Tesla models or some um, or something on an American standard, you know, they um they um that can be like the I don't know brand new Ford, you know, uh, <laughs> of the of the of the century. You know, we start we start just make like making American tier elect electric cars that do that do random stuff, yeah. <laughs> like just because you know, like I don't know, it'd be cool. It might be cool. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it would definitely be cool, and it's going to be great to have a card that has both good charging and access to Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. And yes, it's time for that rent. Um, here's the thing, Tesla owners, uh, really GM as well, because you're planning on doing this. I don't know why. If you don't have Android Auto or CarPlay inside of your car infotainment system thingy in the year 2023, I'm really sorry. You can just leave. I know you want to, like, make more money off of your own services by packaging your own garbage little infotainment thing there that's probably going to get slower and slower over the years until you eventually have to replace that module in the car at an exorbitant price. So, like, I can see the financial reason for this, right? But, yeah, shame on you. Shame on you. They are objectively better infotainment systems. Like, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto are amazing. And I understand that Android Automotive is basically the same as Android Auto, but it's just baked into the car. I don't really care. It's confusing. The fact that I have two devices now instead of just one device that casts to one thing is ridiculous. And it's something that needs to end. And I am fine using Android Auto. And I dread the day where I will ever have to buy a new car with anything integrated in it. And the, uh, sorry, just that's it. That is all. That's it. rant over. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, um, <laughs> it's really, it's no, really on, nice seeing this. It is really, really, really nice seeing this. And um, it's also just going to make. Uh, like you said, the competition a lot better. It's going to make other EVs a little bit more viable. Um, people aren't going to be staving off of buying, say, uh, for example, like a, a you know a Chevy Bolt instead of a Tesla Model Y because the charging isn't that greater. Like you don't have uh, a whole lot of charging stations nearby, so you'll have range anxiety. Right. You'll you'll be able to just well um you'll be able to have a lot more availability to get um to get a car, but um instead the focus will be more on what car you're getting. Right. And it'll also push the adoption of other things that are going to make the EV market a lot stronger overall. It's going to encourage the bolstering or strengthening of electric grids. It's going to encourage better infrastructure for charging just overall. Uh, companies like Electrify America and other, um, you know, big EV charging station providers, they're going to be adopting a standard because it's open now and they're, you know, that's rolling out more and more and more. I um, am a little bit disappointed in Electrify America. I kind of wish they had really not just dropped the ball like they've done so far where, and like half of their charging stations don't even work. <laughs> that. That's an exaggeration, by the way, but <laughs> it is it is somewhat true still, though, because, you know, Electrify America, they had a really big advantage early on because they started and they were ready to just like really push ahead into this EV future. But Tesla beat them to the punch on this one. And again, 60 percent more chargers run on the North American charging standard than on the combined charging standard or CCS. And CCS 2.0 is a lot better than CCS 1.0, but it's it doesn't matter when you're driving and you can't even find anything that you can plug your car into unless you find an adapter. This is going to be a lot better for consumers. This is going to be a lot better for the market as a whole in terms of competition. It's also just going to be a lot better for policymakers that are, we're just kind of waiting all this time 
for something that isn't Tesla <laughs> to make driving an EV possible. And I understand that some people really like their Teslas and the sporty look and the like kind of aggressive dude bro futurism, but it's not for me and it's probably not for a lot of other people as well. Some of us are normal and drive Fords. And <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I just got to put that one out there. You, some of us just aren't completely annoying, right? And we want cars that aren't completely annoying. Right. I'm sorry, nobody wants to buy a Cybertruck. They look stupid. <laughs> and they're probably not going to come out for another 80 years anyway. So, <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't even survive if it did for that one. <laughs> <laughs> the poor thing, its, it's windows would probably break right off the lot. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I know I've said this many, many times throughout this show, but this is absolutely wonderful news for EVs. I'm just kind of curious about how difficult the rollout's going to be because now Tesla has to refit existing superchargers and destination chargers, as well as build new chargers that have both charging standards there. And you, you got to wonder whether or not they'll just kind of flake on that responsibility over time but it depends i mean it's probably it's probably more in the best interest to be um to be more on the flagship on this one yeah. so i mean if i i mean if, if i had to guess uh they um we could expect a rollout of this um being being completed within the um end of like the the next quarter um but if we're um but i mean it'll probably take like a like a full like year or two for everything to kind of get up and running in terms of like charging ports right. now from now from there what i'm wondering um, what i'm wondering is how they're going to shift focus on on their uh on their on product development yeah you know like they're like their cars are already stagnating and they have and they have like a myriad of of like uh issues that people that people <laughs> have been reporting on i.e the exploding thing um right. but um so i i kind of wonder if they're um if they're going to for one address that yeah. and uh two and two, try I'm um, trying to shift the focus of um of their cars being less of like a, a luxury item for the future, and more or uh, more or less just um a luxury or more or less just a car um for right. um for the future. Not uh you know just like um just something to um to use you know, um yeah. the, um and that because like, I I don't know if if there's going to be more electric cars around then they um at that point. Uh, the the novelty of it ha will have worn off, so they're gonna have to switch gears on um like as um like as a company itself. Tesla is very much known um for like uh pushing the boundaries. Um, they're not like necessarily known as like just a car company. Yeah. So I wonder how they're um how they're gonna um promote that going forward. Well, and that's the thing. Tesla has kind of positioned positioned itself um in the market in a very interesting way because much like Apple, they're not just a technology company. They're not just a car company. They're right. a supply chain company. Right. And that's the key thing to note here is that Tesla was for years able to take its uh, take advantage of its position as like the sole competitor in this market. It was basically competing with itself in many ways. Mm. And um, that's kind of that was kind of a problem because the rest of the industry just wasn't taking the EV market seriously and they were able to capture market share. Right. But still, the EV market is so small now <laughs> yeah. that the potential ceiling for it is crazy. Yeah. And now Tesla is basically allowing its competitors to start on the same footing again. And, wa and walk all over it with like basically a, a much more massive a massive market to work off of. It's, it's right. essentially like Apple and Android all over again. Yeah. <laughs> and now that the chip shortage and material shortages are over and manufacturers are ready to roll out vehicles again yeah um, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a really crazy market within the next decade we are going yeah, to see a yeah. whole bunch of ev, EV I, I expect it to I expect there to be a huge boom in um in the in the ev market now mm -hmm. i've now for 
um, what that means for Tesla. I have no clue. It's either going to be a bloodbath, or they're going, or they're going to double down, like full, like st- like put this on, like their heel to die on, and like, like throw their all their chips on the table, yeah. <laughs> and um, and and come out like the victors of this thing. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not like it hasn't been done. I mean, it's not like it's not like. Um, you can't make a virtual monopoly out of this um, yeah. as one company. You know, we mm-hmm. like, like, you know, we we do it all the time. Uh, like when compete when competing with like a, a European market or just or just with um, any out um, outside market from the U.S. Right. Um, so I just I'm just curious how Tesla's gonna do it with this. You know, if their supply chain. You know, how are they going to um like uh if, essentially revamp you know one of their um one of their uh, products or one or you know one like one of their industries. Yeah. Um, you know what? Like New York is being smoked like a Christmas ham right now. It's it's about time we uh, made. It's about time like things that were less bad for air quality started getting a little bit more common. So yeah, we'll see that. Um, but anyway, that's uh, it for the Tesla thing. Next up, we have another little grab bag from the week. All right, and we're back. And now that we're back, we're going to cover some of the things that both were WWDC and weren't WWDC. <laughs> so first, rest of the stuff from WWDC. Um, iOS 17 came out for iPhones. It is much like Android 14, which is to say it's not all that consequential. It has, um, you know, some contact. It has some contact photos. Th- it, are contact photos just dead? Because now you can basically just decide how other people see you. Yeah, when it, you make calls. Yeah, you just you just get, have your own like what was it, a profile or portrait or something like that. Yeah. and uh, and you, you kind of just send um send that out to people, and that can be assigned to you um, as your contact or or as your uh, well as your portrait. <laughs> Custom <laughs> yeah. contact photos are dead. We we've done it, guys. We've killed the contact. Fit officially, it's now it's now um, a commodity. <laughs> <laughs> it's only a matter. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before yeah. they're just gone in, in the ground. Um, so fa- uh, FaceTime video voicemail brings a whole new meaning to the word visual voicemail. Hmm. Um, it's basically if you make a FaceTime call, somebody misses it, you can leave a message, and it's in a video. It's pretty wacky. Um, nice iMessage voice messages have finally reached feature parity with Google Messages on Android. Yeah, that's right. I'm 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 getting salty about it. But no, uh, voice messages on iMessage can finally do uh, text trans- transcription, so you don't actually have to actually listen to those voice messages. Thank God. <laughs> Good. Um, and this was something that Google had rolled out in Google Messages for Android, a, you know, months ago. But it's really cool seeing this feature here. It's just a great feature. I hate those little voice messages so much. <laughs> no, I, I, can, I can definitely say the same. Absolutely. Like, why? I'm sorry. I know it's I know it's quicker or something, but I ain't reading that on a bus. I ain't listening to that on a bus. I ain't listening to that literally anywhere in public. But um, strange that they even let you keep them. It's like I, like I don't want to see hear your dirty little secrets over and over. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, feature. So there's feature parity with Android widgets finally as well. Apple released interactive widgets. Yay! Nice. Yay! Congrats. Clap! You oh, actually have decent widgets now. Whoa! I know. I'm, no, I'm so. Sorry, it's. But here's the thing: Apple's implementation of widgets is still pretty cool. I guess from a uh, from a user interface perspective, it looks great. Um, I think from a developer's per- perspective, I saw the quickest adoption from developers for any iOS feature ever. They just loved widgets. Widgets are cool. That's because widgets are cool, and it's not like the dynamic island. They actually have a purpose. Uh, <laughs> 
Then uh, airdrop basically recreated business cards. Uh, you can tap your phone. You can like you can use like the NFC or airdrop in your phone and your iPhone, and you can tap it with another iPhone, and the contact is on the other iPhone. It's pretty stupid. I I love it. Um, I it's it's so dumb. But you can like, just airdrop like a, a contact. It's, it's so cool now. Like you yeah. can well now you can just like give people like your stat card and <laughs> um and they don't even have to worry worry about like and like any bad intentions. All like like the whole like your whole entire uh, portfolio is right there. Yeah. Apple needs to release the API for this right now. We need to have developers tapping into this. Like you just you just put your put your phone up to the ticketing counter. Like here's my well actually no it's just regular NFC. What am I talking about? This is just regular <laughs> NFC. Yeah. Just, this yeah. is just regular NFC. What is Apple? What is this? It's, it's just it's, it's just for fun. It's just for fun. You might as well. You know, it's just for fun. Oh man, yeah, that's great. But um, then uh, SharePlay can share what you're playing it's really cool like basically with share play um let's just say you're in a car and your phone's hooked up to the car via carplay or something right somebody else with an iphone can tap into the share play right and they can control the media in your car so if you're driving and you don't want to be distracted by adjusting the volume and then hit an 18 wheeler going at 70 miles an hour while your seven-year-old kid in the back seat rattles around in there like a rock in a box this yeah. is a way you can get around that. Yeah, I, I have like a little bit more versatility. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely. Um, and then there was more stuff. There's macOS Sonoma, or as I like to call it, macOS Snornoma, because <laughs> there's really not a whole lot going on with it. That's pretty this cool. is the uh, fort. This is, if you're going by numbered iterations, this is uh, macOS 14, which is really funny because macOS 10 essentially constituted like 20 years of macOS. Because it was like it was just various iterations of Mac OS X going from like I think it started with Jaguar, don't quote me on that, or Puma or whatever, and then ended with uh, Mac with uh, Mac OS X Catalina, and then Big Sur started eleven for some reason, but they've just been Pump, iterating the numbers. So yeah, it's it's odd. Anyway. <laughs> um, Widgets on the desktop, how interesting. Uh, well, video conferencing party tricks, also how interesting. I'm not going to spend too much time on them. It's, it's okay. They're, I mean, they're, there's like it's like amazing little ways to just feel better about about um, buying an overpriced product. And or, that's okay. It's, you know? it's, it's interesting like, little okay. ways to feel better about sitting on a Zoom call for eight hours a day. I hate Zoom calls, and this is not going to make me like them anymore. Well, it doesn't, well it's, not, it's not about that. It's about having fun. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's about, it's, about, it's about having fun in your misery. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, PDF autofill ha- actually has some useful implications for document signing. Uh, it's going to make signing documents a lot less of a tedious process, but it's it's basically Apple is trying to kill DocuSign with this. Is, they're trying to uh, Sherlock documents. Okay, so they're trying to make it like you can just uh, upload a document and, so- and sign it like in real time or something like that. Yeah. Kind of a cam scanner. Apple is Sherlocking DocuSign. We're, uh. we're <laughs> they're killing, what are they? So they're killing business cards. They're they're killing contact photos. They're killing DocuSign. This is... Killing sticky, sticky they're, notes. And they're stuff. just... They're <laughs> killing everything. They, just, they want everything optimized. Ki- yeah, killing... Ki- they killed Tile already, but it's, it's, it's just continuing to go further down that path. Um... They, uh, they're improving smart autocorrect, which is something I, you know, autocorrect does its job most of the time. Um, and there was, uh, some tools that they're using for game developers, which are similar to the tools on the Steam Deck that 
uh, improved compatibility for games on Mac OS, so you might actually have developers tapping into that. And they're making it a lot easier to port like Windows games that are meant for Intel and AMD chips to Apple's hardware, Apple's software. It's going to be great, um, I think, for development. Even though it's not going to perform very well because it has to go through a bunch of different layers of translation before you actually get to playing the game, but it's still pretty cool. Uh, what else? Mac Pro and the 15-inch MacBook Air is going to be launching. I think there was a really big space in the market for that 15-inch MacBook Air, honestly. I think it's a great idea. Um, the MacBook Air has operated in an interesting space where it's a really powerful computer and it's good for what you need to get it done for, but consumers on the lower end haven't had a device with a big display that they can just bring around with them and so it's nice having this larger display although apple is basically trying to kill displays with oh god that's another thing they're killing they're trying to kill displays with their vr headset have virtual displays instead see this is it's, they're, they're just they're just trying to, to optimize you're optimizing <laughs> you just need to optimize that's, yeah. that's the apple way yeah the mac pro also looks pretty cool it's going to be good for developers on apple silicon because they um you know they transitioned away from intel um recently and they've been on that path since 2020 when they've started using their own custom design chips and their products optimizing their all of their software for that it you know at first it was amazing and then as we started to realize pretty soon you can only have so many performance gains year over year and and uh, you know they've still done good it's still uh, still good chips still really power efficient still really powerful and having that in a mac pro chassis where you also are able to add little cards to it as well and uh, there's probably going to be a whole bunch of little expansion cards for people who care about that and for developers, for audio engineers, for people who work with high-end stuff at all. It's going to be great having something that's not on a dead-end Intel platform. <laughs> um, and, uh, that's the, and that's the long and short of it. It's still not going to be compatible with like the other hardware from the other Mac Pro just because that's irreconcilable. They're so, you know, they're very different chips that are inside of these things, but still pretty cool. Um, and it's kind of funny because it looks almost identical to the 2019 Mac, Mac Pro. Like they're not, um, you know, they're, they're not going to rock the boat too much with this one because they spent a lot, a lot of money doing the R and D and doing all of the tooling for that chassis. <laughs> and it's the world's most beautiful cheese grater. And I've, I, you know, <laughs> it was uh, compared to the original compared to the OG cheese grater Mac pros. I'd say it's about on par, you know, I'm not too partial to either one of them, but you've probably seen those old cheese graters in like classrooms and computer labs and stuff where they've probably, or they've probably been in like photo and design studios rotting for years, collecting dust because Apple's just released objectively better products since then. Um, although probably not as expandable not as like well you can't well you can't really well i'd have to imagine i mean you're, you're yeah. still you're still you're still like uh working with a, with a closed market at the end of the day so you can't yeah. there's only so much range you can get out of it outside of your um your like well your your inner your inner fan base <laughs> yeah well i mean it's 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 kind of the thing uh that it's it's important to note here much like all of the other chips that apple is using in their macs these are very similar to the chips that you'll see in their phones right the memory, all of like the RAM and everything, all of that is on the package, right? That can't be changed at all. You can't change like the graphics or the process or anything like that. That's all 
on its own package. That does have a lot of advantages. Um, the key thing is that it's very low latency, and so you're getting the most out of that hardware. You're getting a lot of performance out of it. You're really able to cheese the optimization for it as well. So everything's going to be super fast. All of it's going to be super well optimized. When you open like 15 apps, they're just going to open. It's not like on Windows on an Intel or AMD chip where it'll sometimes hitch or stutter when doing a whole bunch of successive tasks at once. You know, Apple's like, we're going to shove all this through the pipeline and you'll just it'll just do it, right? It'll just do it really well. Um, although I just think it's kind of interesting here because Apple for a while has been trying to get itself to transition more to a services uh, market than necessarily a hardware market. They've adopted things like Apple Music, Apple News, the Apple One subscription, iCloud, all of that. Yeah, but, and some of this stuff is increasingly cross-platform. Yeah, it's getting it's getting more it's getting more and more to a uh, op, um like a like, like an open uh, like a, um app. You know, the right. Apple the Apple TV is um more or less an app that can be um used on multiple devices, the TV right. devices and smart on smart TVs. Yeah. You know, Samsung, uh, Vid, I think Vizio, uh, TLC, uh, LG. They um they all have um have those like um as built as built in uh, default home devices now. Yeah. Um, but um but they um but they are still uh but um like wrap i'm wrapping these in like little bundles like for um for uh, people that are um exclusive to apple products you know say like um say like um the apple one subscriptions you know but just which aren't great to me in my opinion but uh <laughs> they they do they do save money you know they can uh yeah. sometimes so it so it really just depends on like how like how they're really willing to expand within their own sphere yeah you know? i mean and they're good products too apple music is a good product i mean it's it's as far as music subscriptions go it's pretty solid it does it might not have like quite the selection that something like a spotify or youtube music would have but it's a very focused app mm -hmm. it has a lot of great features it has integration with the uh, apple music and itunes configuration tool you can get all of your old music there and like really manage the minutia of it kind of get the album art and all of the like timestamps and all of that right. correct and which you, is awesome yeah and you can even like um add your own personal music there you don't have right. to play for any licensing fees if i'm not yeah. mistaken just to um just to make your own music like like say with a garage band right. uh it's um it's, it's definitely it's definitely um a service that still has um has uh it um like availability or not availability but use yeah. you know in this day and age so i don't see it going away yeah yeah but anyway apple still really cares about hardware wwdc is proof um, at the end of may microsoft also went over its build conference which is its own developers conference a lot of it was very you know boilerplate ai stuff bing has plugins now bard already had plugins but i still think the bing chatbot and the bard chatbot are not real products <laughs> and um they are best served as like a foundation for a product and i've been trying out google sge it is amazing i actually did it for some of the research leading up to this like really? getting a brief overview of these developers conference what was gone over so i can look at each thing and research it individually it was it was good it was pretty accurate but and also it had the content all of the articles right there it's not like google bard where it's all individual drafts and stuff like that yeah and it's this is a real product it's really good but anyway um, it's still good. I'm glad that Microsoft is improving their product. Um, Windows 11 recently got a an AI Copilot, which is uh, Microsoft's way of basically doing what Google Assistant and Siri have done on res their respective mobile platforms for years. Basically running in the background all the time, seeing what you're doing in an app, seeing like, oh, what if I managed this little bit of data right here? What if I took this contact 
added it automatically or took this event, added it automatically, took your boarding pass for your flight. I mean, that was magic back in the day when I was, you know, when uh, like uh, pre-COVID when traveling was basically a constant for me, right? Just being able to like have it go through my emails and be like, Like, here's your boarding pass. Here's all this stuff. Yeah, you're just like a seamless, you know, you don't have to worry about, well, and um, well, and well, any like buffers or and or, or any like uh like app like app transitions that or yeah. like or like the like apps not being compatible with different ones or anything like that. Yeah, Microsoft decided that since Windows has all of this like baggage left over from its legacy customers and stuff like that, it's going to say basically, hey, um, we kind of needed to wait a while for this one, and we needed to go for like a full-on generative AI because there's so much in terms of just like garbage piling <laughs> on after years of years, years and years since Windows NT in the 90s. <laughs> and so we need a generative AI to be able to sort through all this stuff and give you suggestions. Anyway, uh, Hail Clippy, um, supreme overlord of all mankind, created in the image of God himself, um and uh was sent to us to die for our sins clippy you will be missed but you live on (laughs) i'll pour one out for you and also cortana i guess i mean i i swear she could you know she could prevent the covenant from extincting humanity but she She couldn't uh prevent her own demise she also couldn't tell me the weather almost (laughs) ever Uh, yeah cortana was also a short-lived program i i kind of just assumed that um that she was like uh um, in like a in like an end game event that sort um this story just almost happening in between the Halo games, because you know, <laughs> like in continuity she's she's like um gone gone off the deep end in ter- terms of her sanity, at least, <laughs> at, least from, at that point. So I um so I kind of just assumed that that um that anytime Cortana was just buggy or something, she was just having a, a bit of a of an episode. I'm yeah. like it's okay. <laughs> we'll have like a rampant form of Cortana come back and she'll she'll like destroy Windows. Yeah. It'll be awful. Yeah, no, I'll just see my, my Windows crash and it's like uh oh it's Cortana <laughs> again. It's the blue screen of death. <laughs> is this is this proof that Windows phone is returning? <laughs> it's more at eleven. <laughs> anyway yeah, uh, that that seems to that seems to be it. There was a lot going on this week, but pretty much most of it was WWDC, so it was pretty easy to cover. Yeah, it was kind of um, it made it made this week rather cohesive, you know. And I mean, I mean, um, hopefully uh, next week we um, we have a lot a lot more to cover in terms, in terms of uh, versatility. Yeah, um, but we got we got to see what these other tech companies have in store on themselves. Yeah, Let's talk about things that aren't Apple and aren't Google and aren't Microsoft. That yeah, would be great. I, I swear we're not fanboys. We're <laughs> Anyway, I'll read us out. This has been EdgeNode. Our station manager is Lily Conducey, and our production manager is Cyan Schumann. Our theme music was composed by Grace C. Elliott. Special thanks to the University of Alaska Anchorage for providing the equipment and studio, and we'll see you next time. You can stay tuned right here on KRUA 88.1 FM, or you can find our podcast feed on theurbansands.net. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's called the Vision Pro, you numpties. Zesty Lemons.